River West, I'd like to invite you to be seated. And while you're getting seated there, go ahead, pull out your Bible, get ready. We're going to be back in our study in the Gospel of Luke. And you've got a bulletin there. There's a place to take notes. And while you're getting settled, I'll say a couple things. First of all, ushers are coming down the aisles now. If you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have a Bible in your hand today. And let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. And while you're turning there and getting settled, I want to share with you a way that you can be praying for our church. So um, people come up to us all the time and ask us, how can I pray for the church? And one of the things I want to say real quick about that is you need to know how encouraging that is for us because we know that you pray for us and it means the world. So thank you for that. And so what I want to do today is tell you about a really unique thing that we're going to do together as a church around prayer. And it has to do with our Easter weekend. So you know that traditionally the church has celebrated Easter weekend primarily focused on Friday evening, which we call Good Friday, and then Easter morning, Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, and all the services there. We're going to be telling you more about all of those service times next week. And it's good. The church celebrates Good Friday and the cross and the death of Christ. And then we come back Easter morning and we worship and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. But the question is, what about Saturday? What is Saturday for? And one of the things we were talking about on our, on our lead team was what, what would it have been like for those disciples on that Saturday? They'd seen their leader go into this tomb and a stone rolled over it that no human could move. And I wonder what they were doing. What kind of feelings did they have? I bet they were praying and crying out to God and maybe feeling some confusion and and so we started thinking about that, and we started thinking, you know, Saturday should really be a day about prayer. Prayer, praying for, because we know now, we're, we're on the other side of the resurrection. We know what's coming Sunday, and so we can pray with great expectation and great hope. And so here's what we're going to do, and I'm going to need all of your help to do this. The vision is that we would like to, as a church, pray nonstop, in our sanctuary, have people from our church in this room praying straight from the end of the last Good Friday service all the way until the beginning of the first Easter morning service. We are just going to pray. Does that sound great? Someone at the nine screamed at the top of their lungs, and I was so happy. It was the best moment. Does that sound great? Yes, we're going to pray, okay? We're going to pray. It's, it'll take us 32 hours to do this if we started right after the Good Friday service all the way until Easter morning. And I was thinking about what to call this event, and I didn't want to use the word vigil, so I was praying, and I came up with something that I think is really creative. We're calling it 32 hours of prayer, all right? <laughs> Okay, it's the most creative thing I've ever come up with in my life. But that slide is beautiful, is it not? And here's the thing. We already have every hour, we have a, a, a leader, a pastor, or an elder who is assigned to that hour who will be in this space. And the, and the vision is that there will be at least five River Westers every hour straight, 32 hours straight, praying for your friends for your neighbors, for the sermon, for the worship team, walking through, praying over the chairs. We are just going to pray and seek God and see what God does. 
Amen. That, that would be, 32 hours would be 160 River Westers. We have that in this room and double. So this should not be hard. But you're going to have to go for that hour that no one wants to go for. <laughs> Okay, and I'll give you some good news. The high school kids have already claimed Friday night from 10 to midnight. How cool is that? Okay, we should feel bad about ourselves already. And the college kids have claimed Sunday morning from midnight to 2 a.m. Isn't that great? Give the Lord a round of applause for that. And the 11 a.m. service has claimed 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. <laughs> All right, here's what you do. You go on our webpage to riverwest.org slash 32 hours. The link is there. You go in, sign up, get with your spouse or an accountability partner or your small group and say, let's do this. We'll take two hours. Take two hours if you want to take two hours. And let's pray and let's see what God will do. Amen. Isn't that great? And right now we're going to get in the word. So we open your Bible to Luke chapter 6. We've come in our study to this famous sermon that Jesus preached. It was a sermon that he preached after he had been praying all night. He had gone up on a mountain. He was praying, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord for leadership for his new community. He had prayed. He came down. He he walked through a sea of disciples and he chose 12 of them, remember, whom he called apostles. And then Luke tells us that Jesus came down the mountain, maybe partway down, and he found a level place, a plain. And he preached the very first sermon to his new community of followers. And so we call that sermon the Sermon on the Plain, and we're going to be studying it together as a church over the next few weeks. But what I want to do is I want to take you back to a word that Pastor Guy used last week to describe this sermon. And I wonder if you noticed this word. It grabbed my attention when he said it. Do you remember it? He used, the word that he used to describe the Sermon on the Plain, he used the word challenge. Do you remember this? You note-takers, I know you're out there. You're like A-plus note-takers. He, he, here's what guy said. He said, the Sermon on the Plain is Christ's word of challenge to his followers to live a different kind of life in a fallen world. That's what it is. From start to finish, the sermon is it's challenging. You know, sometimes... What we need to hear from God is a word of encouragement. And there are words of encouragement all over the Gospel of Luke. You're going to be encouraged over and over and over again. Sometimes what you need from the Lord is a word of hope. There's words of hope all over the Gospel of Luke. Sometimes you need a word of comfort. You're going to get that. But sometimes what we need from the Lord is we need a word of challenge. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I don't know about you, but I can look back on my Christian life, and I know that the moments where the greatest things happened, where God did the most in my spiritual life, were right after moments where I was challenged by someone, really challenged. I was thinking about it this week and remembering a time when I was a young man, 18 years old, freshman year of college. I was at Willamette University, and it was a really hard year, probably one of the hardest years of my life. I was very lonely. I experienced a little bit of depression, and I was really struggling um, during that year. My faith started to really 
you know, dry out a little bit. I got kind of sleepy in my Christian life. That happens to us sometimes, right? I started to kind of feel bad for myself, and I got really inward focused and started navel-gazing a little bit. We do that sometimes. And, man, my friend and my mentor, he was my youth pastor. His name was Eric Schofield. He could tell that I was struggling, and he reached out to me and said, let's have breakfast, Adam. And I was so excited because he was a really a, a huge source of encouragement in my life. So we had breakfast together, and I was telling him about my year, and I was moaning and talking about everything. And he sat back, and he folded his arms, and here's what he said to me. He said, Adam, what the heck are you doing with your life? You know, it was so encouraging, right? No, it was not a word of, this was not that moment. Sometimes you need a word of encouragement, and sometimes you need a word of challenge. And Schofield knew, I need to challenge Adam. I need to challenge him. And it was very challenging. He said, what are you doing, man? And then he, he took his hands and he opened up his hands. I'll never forget this. He said, I want, this is your life. You don't have very much time here. And he said, your life is, it's like jello. And I was like, that is really weird. But he said, go with me. He said, your life is like jello. I, I want you to think about this. Imagine you've got your whole life in your hands. Do you know something? I guarantee you, if you try to squeeze a hold of your life and grab a hold of it for yourself and your desires and your agenda, when you get to the end and you open your hands, you're not going to be holding anything. But if you open your hands to God and you give him your life and you give him your time here, let me tell you something, he will pour out his abundance on you. And that was so challenging. But let me tell you something, some of the greatest things in my Christian life occurred right after that moment. I'm in the ministry today because of that conversation, that word of challenge. Sometimes we need to be challenged. And maybe that's true for you. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, the entire thing is a word of challenge including the passage we're going to look at today. Will you turn there? It's in the middle of Luke chapter 6. And today the challenge continues. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, I, I need to challenge you now to start living out a new kind of love in this world. A love that's sort of exceptional. A love that is, is really extraordinary. A kind of love that will cause the world to look at my community and try to figure out what's the explanation for this love that they show. That's what Luke 6, verse 27 to 36 is about. Will you read it with me? Here's what Jesus said next. He said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those who lend, who, whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Wow. So challenging, right? What a challenge. Man, we read that and we, and we hear those words and we think, this is, this is really hard. Did you notice that Jesus starts this passage and he ends this passage with the same phrase? He says, love, not, not, not just your friends. I'm assuming you're going to love your friends. I'm assuming you'll love your family. No, no, no. The kind of community that I'm envisioning is a community that would actually love your enemies. It's so challenging. We read it and we realize Jesus is actually stirring us up here. He's, he's blurring the lines in his community between friends and enemies. He's saying, I want you to love both the same. Amazing. And actually, what Jesus does here, there's, there's three things that he does to really challenge us this kind of love. I want, I want you to look at them in your Bible. So will you look at your own Bible there's, there's three ways to sort of break down this passage. The first thing that Jesus does is he shocks the system, all right? That's verses 27 to 31. And I'm going to show you how that, those verses are intentionally designed to send like a, a jolt of spiritual electricity into us where we wake up. So he shocks us. Then the second thing he does is he raises the standard. He says, your standards are so low. And he does it through these questions that he asks in verses 32 and 33. And then finally, after he's shocked us and raised the standard, then what Jesus does, he says, now I'm going to take you to the source, the only source of power that can actually enable you to love like this. And so what I want to do is look at those three things. The very first thing Jesus does here is he shocks the system. This was very shocking. And it was intended to be, like shock value. Now, when we read these verses, maybe we were a little bit shocked. But let me tell you something. Jesus' original audience, they were blown away by this. They, they probably thought, this is absurd, Jesus. Love our enemies. If someone strikes me, turn the other cheek. If someone curses me, respond to that with a blessing. They were thinking, Jesus, do you realize that we're under Roman occupation? Like the Romans are brutal and you're telling us to love them? And even Luke's original audience, by the time Luke wrote this letter and, and they heard this sermon, they were, Christians were being thrown to the lions, they were being persecuted. And they heard it in the same way ear. They thought, this is absurd. I guarantee you, there were people that day who heard the words of Jesus and they thought, if this is the kind of community that you're creating, I'm not sure that I want to be a part of it. There were probably people who left that day and said, this is too hard. This is too hard. This is so shocking, right? And Jesus intended it to be that way. He thought, 
I'm building a new community. And this new community, it's got to be different in the world. And so the first thing I need to do is I need to wake you up. I imagine Jesus with defibrillators, right? Those paddles. And he's just like, I've got to send a jolt of spiritual electricity into my people. Because sometimes we get a little sleepy, don't we? That's revival. It's just Jesus saying, I love you. I want to wake you up. And so he shocks us and, and we come alive and we realize, whoa, this teaching is big. Jesus says, love. Love your friends. I'm assuming you're going to do that. Love your family? Yeah, obviously. No, no, no. What I'm saying to my new community is, I want you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. And we say, who are my enemies? Do I have enemies? You know? When I was a young man, I used to read the Bible. I would read the Psalms, and David talks about enemies all the time. And I remember thinking, I don't have any enemies. You know, I don't even know what that means. I remember being at, at the church that I grew up in. I was talking to an older gentleman, and I was saying that to him. It's like, I'm reading David, and he's always talking about his enemies, and I don't feel like I have any enemies. And this older gentleman, he looked at me with sort of this patronizing look, you know, and he sort of patted my head, and he was like, you're young. Give it some time. Okay. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of patronizing. But do you know what? He was right. The longer you're here, what happens? You begin to have some enemies, people who are against you. People who want to do you harm, right? Now, we got to be careful with this because sometimes we, if we're not careful, we might try to create an enemy where there isn't actually an enemy. This is an enemy that Jesus does not have in mind, right? We can do this. So sometimes in our marriages, we have intense fellowship, you know, which is just Christian code for fighting, right? You have intense fellowship and you get done with the intense fellowship and then you don't like each other a lot and maybe you don't want to be around each other. It could be tempting to think, I've got an enemy, you know, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And the news media, all right, the whole industry is built on creating enemies for us. Do you feel me, Riverwest? You watch the news for very long, you realize they keep demonizing this, this other group of people and creating this division. That's how they make money. That's how they get us. Creating a divide. There's only two ways. You're over here and the enemy's over there. And they tell you that, that enemy, it's whoever that person is across the political divide, right? Or across the ideological divide. Or that person across the globe, that's your enemy right? Or that person across the border, that's your enemy, you know? Canada, right? That's what we're talking about, right? Canada. No. Okay, but now listen. If you pay attention, you'll realize, wait a minute. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Are those my enemies? I don't think so. Who is my enemy? Do you know Jesus actually tells us? Look at it with me. Right after he says, love your enemies, what does he say? He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, that word abuse, I want to pause for just a minute and say, I'm going to come back to that word in just a minute because that is a big word, all right? And in our culture, that word we use that word to describe some things that Jesus is not talking about here. And so I want to be really sensitive to the fact that there might be people right now who are hearing that word and it's triggering some really deep 
fear and hurt and emotion. And I'm going to be extremely precise about that. I'm going to come back to it in a minute. So stay with me, okay? What I want to show you is that Jesus has already used words like this back up in verse 22. Will you look at it? We have to get the enemy right. Remember this from last Sunday? Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of who? On account of the Son of Man. Remember that phrase? We learned about that phrase. Jesus is saying, you got to get this right. I'm talking about an enemy who is out to get you because of me. It's that person who says, because I cannot stand your God, I cannot stand you. I'm against you. I want to oppose you. I want to bring harm into your life. I want to hurt you. I want to slander you. I want to damage your reputation. And the, the, the shocking thing, the shock value is that Jesus says, you may, you may get that person in your life, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the most scandalously generous thing that you could do and do it for that person. Whoa. That person who's cursing you, I want you to actually bless that person. The word bless means to ask that God would pour out spiritual blessings on them. And you go, wow, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus says, this is the kind of people I want you to be. I want you to respond to enemies in a way that's completely different from the way the world does. Amazing. I might have enemies in my life, though, that are, that are not the result of the Son of Man, but because I've been kind of a jerk, right? So sometimes you get an enemy because you're behaving in the, in the world in a way that's not godly. This passage is not about that, okay? If that is the situation you're in, you need to go to passages about repentance and going and asking for forgiveness, okay? But this passage is about that person who cannot stand the fact that you love Jesus and you're actually following Jesus and so they're against you and then Jesus says I want you to go out of your way to be a blessing in their life. Amazing. It's so shocking. Now let me deal with this phrase pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who abuse you. I want to be really clear right now. This phrase is not about domestic violence. Please hear me. Jesus was not talking about domestic violence. There may be a situation, and you might be in a situation, where in a relationship in your home with a spouse, you feel really unsafe, and you're actually being harmed. And the danger would be that you could hear these words of Jesus and think, well, wait a minute, is Jesus actually telling me that I need to stay in a situation where I'm actually unsafe and getting hurt? And that is not what this verse is about. If you're in a situation where you're unsafe, you need to get help, you need to get safe, you need to call the authorities or call a pastor. Our church is for you, 
if you're in this situation, reach out to us. We want you to be safe. This is not, this verse is not telling you to stay in a safe, unsafe place. You actually do have an enemy, but that enemy is actually an enemy of God and what God wants in your life. Amen? Amen? When Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you, that word abuse was, it was a word that described a public thing where if I, if I reviled someone, I would do something about it publicly. I would, I would do something to harm their reputation. I would give expression to my emotion, which was, I revile you, so I'm going to do something publicly to abuse you. And Jesus says, you know what I want you to do for that person? I want you to pray for them. I want you to bring God into, into the picture. It's amazing. He says, in order to love that enemy, you're going to have to have God right front and center in your purview. And you just pray, Lord, I pray for this person. They're bringing so much harm to me. I want to lash out, but that's not my call. My call is to pray that you would save them and change their hearts, right? It's amazing. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you to something this morning. This is absolutely critical. Brothers and sisters, you actually have a decision that you have to make today. Because this is the word of Jesus to you. And Jesus is going to ask you to make a choice today. And the choice is this. Am I going to be, Jesus, your agent of love in this world? You have to choose. Because this is not going to happen to you accidentally. You're not just going to wake up one day and become this amazing person who loves your enemy. You are actually going to have to decide. I want to be like this. I want to be a person who loves radically. I want to be a person who doesn't retaliate in my life. There will be moments where you'll be so tempted to retaliate. And Jesus says, that's not my way. That's what Jesus meant with this, this really striking image where someone strikes you on the cheek and you turn the other cheek. It's so graphic, right? We hear that and we think, are you kidding? And Jesus says, that's, I don't want my people retaliating. Have you ever been struck in the face? It is shocking. I got hit in the face one time. I was 17 years old. It was gym class. It always happens in gym class, all right? Let me tell you something. I was playing basketball in gym class, and I got fouled really hard by this, this guy, and I was on the ground, and I jumped up, and I was like, what, what are you doing? And before I could even breathe another word, he just punched me right across the face. It happened so fast. I couldn't even believe it. I was like, dude, you need counseling. Like, <laughs> what was that, right? I didn't even have a moment to think, let alone turn the other cheek, right? It happened so fast. And here I've got Jesus saying, how do you respond to something like that? River West, here's the thing. In, a, in that culture, when you struck someone in the face, it was a way to publicly shame someone. So when they wanted to remove someone from the synagogue, like kick someone out of the community, they would, they would bring them up in public and they would slap them across the face. It was this public shaming moment. And Jesus says, have you ever been shamed publicly? Maybe it's not a physical strike, but it feels like it. And Jesus says, do you know what I want you to do? I want you to turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. And you go, that, what? that's challenging. Someone steals something from you, steals your overcoat, Jesus says, don't retaliate. In fact, 
show generosity. Give them the tunic, the shirt, the long shirt. You, you hear that and you think, being, being robbed from is the most violating thing. And you're saying, I, 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 I turn that into an act of generosity? Have you ever had an Amazon package taken off your front porch yet? Right? They call them porch pirates. Have you heard of this? It's happening all the time. There's a guy, he's a NASA scientist. He's a retired NASA scientist. Did you hear what he did? He, he retired, he was bored. So he spent six months designing a way to retaliate. Have you heard about this? He developed a box, an Amazon box, and inside of this box, it takes a NASA scientist to do this. There are three 60-degree cameras that are connected to his laptop and a device that when you open it, it shoots off a pound of glitter and then it sends off flatulence spray every 30 seconds, okay? And he's got it on his camera. Now, let me tell you something. That is not turning the other cheek, all right? <laughs> That's what we call retaliation. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do that, all right? If someone steals your package, all right? Someone steals your package, leave them a puppy out there, you know? No. <laughs> But think about how challenging this is. This is not easy. If someone robs from you, Jesus says, don't let that be an act of thievery. In your head, turn it into an act of generosity on your part. Amazing. And you hear that and you go, this is shocking. And that's exactly the point. Jesus says, I need to shock you because I need you to realize something. Can I do this on my own? So he says, I'm going to shock you first, but then the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to raise the standards. I need to raise the standards a little bit. And that's why he asks these probing questions starting in verse 32. Did you notice it? Look at them. There's three of them. And each one looks the same. It's got a pattern to it. And the point of it is to say, your standards are really low, and I need my community to raise the standards a little bit. So he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love like that. Sinners love people who love them, right? If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? Even sinners do good like that. If you loan to someone whom you know has the capacity someday later to give you a loan, what benefit is that to you? What, what reward will you get for that? Sinners loan like that. Amazing. Jesus is saying, I, I, I need to raise the standards. And here's what he's saying. It's so profound. Jesus is saying, you know, there's sort of an ordinary kind of decency in our world. It's very ordinary. And most people agree to it. Like a, a decent way of living in the world. And not only do most people agree to it, most people, Decent people actually try to live like this in our world. We try to love people who love us, right? We try to do good to people who are good, who are like us. We give loans to people who can, who can pay it back or give us a loan sometime later. And Jesus says, that's all fine, but here's the problem with that. That kind of decency, that can be explained without anything divine. Like people can do that without any supernatural help. And Jesus says, 
I'm trying to build a different kind of community. I'm trying to build a different kind of community. In the ancient culture, relationships were very transactional. So you would give favors because it would mean that you would get a favor later. And that was the way they did it. Have you heard the phrase quid pro quo? The Greek phrase. That just means something for something. A favor for a favor. I'm kind to you because I have a feeling you'll be kind to me. I give you a loan now and you need it, but I have a feeling that someday if I need a loan, you'd be the kind of person who could loan me something back. And it becomes very transactional. Favor for favor. It's kind of like the godfather, right? It's like the godfather way of doing good in our world. You ever seen the movie The Godfather? Come on now. I've been waiting a long time in my ministry to use The Godfather <laughs> as an illustration. It's The Godfather. He, he, he's in there. He's this Sicilian mobster. And people come and they're like, Godfather, I need your help, you know. And he's like, I'm going to help you, you know. And he's just got this, I'm going to make him an offer he cannot refuse. Okay, right. Well, why does he do this? Because he knows someday, you're, see, you're in my debt. The mortician comes. I need help. And the godfather's like, I think you're going to be able to help me later. Right? And so it's this favor for a favor kind of a thing. And it's great. If, if people live like that in the world, it's perfectly fine. It's decent. Love people that I'm like, that I like being around. And Jesus says, that's fine. But the problem with that is you don't need God to explain that kind of community. And I'm trying to create a community where the only explanation is something supernatural. Amazing. One of my favorite quotes is by a pastor named Francis Chan. And he said something like this. He said, I want my life, he said, I, I don't want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. Just think about that for a minute. Think about your life. He said, I do not want my life to be explainable without the Holy Spirit. And all Jesus is doing is he's saying, that's, that's what I want my community to be like. I do not want this community to be explainable without supernatural help. And so Jesus says, I'm going to raise the standards. I'm going to shock you, and I'm going to raise the standards. And you're going to think, wait a minute, this is not only difficult, this is impossible. I cannot do this on my own. And Jesus says, precisely. And now you're ready for Jesus to show you the one source of power by which you can live like this. And that's the last two verses. Will you look at it with me? Verses 35 and 36. Jesus said, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. It's so great. Jesus says, I'm going to end there. Here's what I'm saying. I want you to, be, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to live a life of mercy. And, and here is your example. Your example is your heavenly Father. He says, that's the standard I want you to follow. I want you to love and be merciful in this world the way God is merciful. 
You say, well, what does mercy mean? Well, Jesus actually defines it right before. Look at the phrase right before verse 36. He says, what is mercy? God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That is the best definition of mercy in the entire Bible. You say, what does it mean that God is merciful? I'll tell you what it means. Jesus says it means God treats ungrateful people who are evil. He treats them not how they deserve. He treats them with kindness. Amazing. And Jesus says, that is your model. Not only is that your model, that's your source of power. Because as you reflect on those words, you begin to realize, well, now, wait a minute. Who is the person who's ungrateful in this scenario? I am. Who is the person who is evil in this relationship? I am. I'm sitting here in the church of Jesus Christ because God was kind to an ungrateful and evil person. Amen? He was kind to us. And you reflect that and you realize Jesus is simply asking me to treat people the way God has treated me. So powerful. And Jesus says, this is the only way that you can love your enemies. You can never do this on your own. There's, it's impossible. Don't even try. You cannot love the way Christ is asking you to love without having your vision renewed of how God has loved you. And so Jesus takes us to the source of gospel truth, gospel power. He says, I want you to remember this. This is how God has treated you. So powerful. How could you receive from God that kind of mercy and then withhold it from someone else just because they're your enemy? How could you do that? It's so true. I don't know, and Luke doesn't tell us, how people responded that day to Jesus. We don't know what people said to him. But one thing we can do is imagine what we would say to Jesus if we were there. And I know what I would say. I would, I would say, Jesus, do you realize what you're asking us to do here? Do you realize how risky this is? Jesus, do you realize how costly this is going to be? And you know what Jesus would say in that moment? He would say, well, actually, I do. I do realize how costly this is. They struck my face repeatedly with a blindfold over my eyes. They didn't just steal my garment. They took all of my clothing and divided it among themselves. They hurled abuse after abuse after abuse. They slandered me. And how did I respond? I brought the blessing of God on them. Remember the moment Jesus hanging on the cross? What did he do? He prayed for his abusers. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Amazing. And then he hung his head and he bore our sin. So Jesus says, I know how costly this is. I know how risky this is. But also, I know 
what an impact it can have in our world. Jesus says, I want to transform the world and I want to do it through my community. I need you to love like I love. And the only way you're going to do it is if your heart is full of gospel truth. And so we're going to sing about that and we're going to go to the table and remind ourselves of that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and lead us. And I'm going to have you bow your head right now and let's pray together as we get ready to worship. We thank you, Father, for these words of Christ, even though they're so challenging. The shock value is high. Even when we hear a sermon that makes us uncomfortable or rattles us or pushes us to a higher standard, we know, we read the words and we know every single one of these words is absolutely true and it's wise and it's authoritative and I need it. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for showing us a higher way. But more than all of it, we pray a prayer of gratitude, Father, for actually giving us the power to live like this. And we want to live like this. Lord, I want to pray for my friends this morning. Every one of us can probably think of someone who is against us, an enemy. Would you give us a new vision, Lord? We need to make a decision today, and we want to make a decision to love like you, to be your agent of love in this world. Would you help us to do it, I pray, Lord. We thank you, Father, and we say these things together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.